0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Matthew chapter 13. Um, I am going to read through the entire chapter with brief comments to keep you interested and awake. And then... We're going to get into our our sermon, but I want you to hear it uh, from Jesus. So Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse one, it says that the same day, because you guys start the count up clock, start it now It's a good time. Thanks. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into his ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So the crowds gathering now at this time, Jesus using the advantage of uh, the water to carry his sound, natural amplification. And it says that he spoke many things unto them in parables, parable, two words, uh, parallel and fable put those two things together. So it's a fable that has a parallel meaning. And so it's a story that's intended to teach. It's taking something that we would understand in the physical realm and using it to illustrate and teach about something in the spiritual realm. He spoke in parables saying, behold, parable number one, a sower went forth to sow. A farmer sowing his seed, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, the path that worked around the circumference of the field, and it says that the birds came and devoured them up. And some of the seed fell on stony places, or uh, rocky, unturned soil, where they had not much dirt, not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up quickly because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but other seed fell onto good ground and brought forth some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then Jesus gives the call, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? remember, they remember they're, they're kind of new disciples at this point. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. They're just becoming familiar with his teaching style and they want insight into what he's about. And so they ask the question. And so Jesus answers and he says to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. It's not as easy for them. For whosoever has to him shall be given. But he, And he shall have more abundance, but whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, it's right there in front of them, but they're not seeing it. And they hearing, it's going in the ear, but they're not really hearing it. Neither do they really understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For the people's heart, and that's a key word, you got to watch that word, heart. Their heart is waxed gross, it's closed off, it's calloused over, it's unhealthy. And their ears, the, the gate of the ear wherein the words go in, their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should be converted, touched, transformed, changed, and then they should be healed. I should heal them. So in other words, Jesus is saying the purpose of parables is to bridge the gap of understanding. I'm trying to make it easier for people to understand concepts that they've become closed off to or that otherwise they wouldn't be able to hear. And so he says then to them, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things that you see and have not seen them and to hear those things that you hear and have not heard them. And then he interprets the first parable in verse 18. He says, hear therefore the parable of the sower. I'm so thankful he gives the interpretation. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the message of God, the word of God, the sermons of God, the truths of God, and they don't understand it, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So the seed that was gobbled up by the birds, those that can't understand or don't hear fully what was spoken. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that hears the word and quickly with joy receives it. Yet he does not have root in himself But he endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by, he is offended. He doesn't have root inside of himself, and so therefore, the seed can't fully grab the heart. And so therefore, when the life is challenged by the pressure of the roots, they just quit. They give up. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, but then the care of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches, so the cares of life, which is a part of life, and the deceitfulness of riches, which is consequential to living this life, they choke the word, they compete with the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But then finally, he that received seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also then bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. So four different areas of the field where seed is sown and four different responses. He then moves on to the second parable in verse 24. It says, another parable he put forth unto them, saying that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and began to bring forth fruit, then appeared the weeds also. So the servants of the householder came and they said unto him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why then has it these weeds? Didn't you raise your kids the right way? Well, then why are they now acting this way? Didn't you treat your wife or your husband the right way? Haven't you been faithful in your marriage? Why is your marriage having so many problems right now? Didn't you treat your body correctly? Aren't you healthy in the choices? that Haven't you sown good seed into your life? Why then now are you experiencing health issues? Why is this happening? Didn't you sow good seed into your field? Why does it now have weeds? And he said unto them, an enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, will you then that we should go and gather them up? Should we tear the weeds out? But he said, no. Everybody say no. No. "No. Lest while you gather up the weeds, listen, you root also up the wheat with them. Listen to Jesus. Let both grow together. Everybody say, let both grow together. Until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares, the weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the end of the parable. Third parable, verse 31. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed. Third parable involving seeds. Which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest, the strongest among herbs, and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Fourth parable, verse 33. Another parable he spoke unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, or yeast, which a woman took, and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. That's the end of the parable. Now in the Bible, leaven or yeast is always a symbol of evil. It's significant that Jesus says three measures of meal because there are three times that Jesus calls yeast out in its individual nature. He talks about the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Sadducees, and the yeast of the Herodians. Those were all groups, religious groups or political groups that were hostile to the gospel. And basically the yeast of the Pharisees was externalism, hypocrisy. The yeast of the Sadducees was skepticism or doubting God, doubting his word. And the yeast of... The Herodians was worldliness or bringing infiltration of worldly things. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be infected by a yeast that permeates throughout. Once yeast is introduced into a lump of dough, it permeates throughout and it can no longer be separated. Jesus basically saying, listen, it is a fact concerning the kingdom, that there are going to be things mixed in that are not good. But it just is what it is. That's what Jesus is saying. All these things, verse 34, spoke Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares or the weeds in the field. Explain it. And so Jesus answered and said unto them, He that sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom. But the weeds are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now watch verse 43 very carefully. He says, Then, when? At the end of the age, when the angels sever the wicked from among the just, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, and who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then will it be revealed who is and who really isn't, Faithful to the things of God. Then it will be revealed who is actually in error concerning the things of God and who isn't. Then it will be known who was right on and who was right off. Listen, what he's saying is you can't know now. You can't know now who truly is and who truly isn't. It's going to be a thing that happens then. That means you're not going to find out on the internet. You're not going to find out on someone's blog. You're not going to find out in a conversation with someone. You're going to find out then. Next parable, verse 44, significantly different than the others. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man is found, he hides, and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, sixth parable. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two parables, very similar in nature. The idea of selling something of value in order to buy something of greater value. And then finally the seventh parable, much like the ones before those two, he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, a fisherman's net. And it gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Watch this. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto them, Have you understood all these things? And they lied to him and said, (laughs) Yes, Lord. And he said unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasure things new and Old. We'll stop right there. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, it was the first time it had ever been really spoken of in that way. We understand that Israel as a, as a nation, as an entity, that they were a kingdom of sorts in the natural realm. They had borders, they had a military, they had a, a king in politics and all that. But in terms of the kingdom of God, the way Jesus spoke of it, it was something that transcends the physical and it is really invisible in its context the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily have borders or walls in the earthly sense uh, it's different There are citizens of that kingdom. And really all of those that belong to God, the people of God, they are citizens. The apostle Paul says, I think it's Philippians chapter three, verse 20. He says that our citizenship is in heaven. So if you belong to Jesus, you are already a citizen of the kingdom, even though you can't define the place by physical boundaries. It transcends all of that. So it's this kingdom, this invisible kingdom that is bigger than earth, but includes earth because God is bigger. It's this kingdom that Jesus is introducing, that Matthew is introducing. And that's been his theme as we've moved throughout. We've heard Kingdom's Creed, the Sermon on the Mount. We saw Kingdom's King, Jesus, and his authority. We heard about kingdom culture last week, the way things work in the kingdom. And as Jesus now tells these parables, what he's giving to us is what we'll call kingdom currents. And that's the message tonight is kingdom uh, currents or, or, or these unknowable but yet very true things that work in the invisible realm that are to serve us and help us to understand the kingdom that we live in. I remember uh, several years ago, we went to uh, the Jersey Shore for Bridge Fest, and it was just one of those blazing hot, like, 95-degree days, and they had the red flags flying. Actually, I think it was the yellow flags. They were letting you go in the water, but they would only let you go in a little bit, and, and they, there were certain restrictions that you couldn't, you know, go in so far whatever. And so uh, I thought, okay, well, this is stupid. I know how to swim. That's for someone else, you know. So I grabbed a, a bodyboard, and I went into the water, and was humbled severely. I mean, I got caught in a rip current that was so strong, it was just pulling me out to sea and I know nothing about the ocean even though I know how to swim. And so I did what was instinctual to me which was to fight against the current and make my way towards shore. And thank God, I did it. I made it. It was the best full body workout I have ever had in my entire life. I was pumped from my shoulders to my feet. I had muscles pumped that I didn't know I had. It was amazing, but I was so out of breath and so fatigued, and the lifeguards, my wife was embarrassed because they had already come out to try and save me. They saw the struggle that I was in. And I, and I was baffled by the fact that they were going to come out into it. And, and I said, well, how do, you, how do you swim in this current? And they said, you've got to understand the current. If you understand the current, you can navigate it. Don't go against the current, you gotta get in the current. And if you get in the current, you're gonna end up in a place where you can come back in and it's really easy, you can do it without even being out of breath. The point was that you need to get in the current. That's what it is. Now, in the physical realm, there are currents that we understand. There's wind currents that we use for airplanes and air travel and jet streams. There are ocean currents and things that we understand. It's how we study certain things. It's how ships navigate in the sea. There are other currents, gravity is a current, that we use to our advantage, even the way oil separates from water and different weights and pressures. There are currents in the physical realm that we understand And even though we can't see physically with our eyes, we observe the effects of those currents and then we use them to our advantage. Now, Jesus is talking about an invisible kingdom. So in the physical realm, we have a physical kingdom with invisible currents, but Jesus is talking about an invisible kingdom with invisible currents. And you almost think, well, I'm lost. How do you observe invisible things in an invisible realm? You let Jesus tell you what they are and how they work. That's what you do. And so Jesus is explaining how things work in the kingdom of God. There's a current, there's a science, there's a pattern. There are truths that work, spiritual laws, so to speak, that cause the kingdom of God to move in the way that he does. Now in verse 11, he calls them mysteries, a hidden thing that's not obvious to the understanding. They're mysteries, But if we understand the revealed mysteries, then we can get in the current and we can use those things to our advantage as citizens of heaven living in a physical world. And that's what Jesus is desiring to give us. And so he gives us seven parables that are intended to illustrate spiritual truths that we can then apply to our behavior in life in order that we might prosper in spiritual things on earth. Now, Jesus was asked why he used parables. And he gave the answer. We read it in the text. But I want to read you the Message Bible translation of Jesus' answer because I like the way it's put. It helps understand uh, why Jesus used parables to do it. It says in the message translation in Matthew, it says that the disciples came up and they asked, why do you tell stories? And it says that Jesus replied that you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works, but not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. So Jesus is saying, I want people to understand these truths. I'm not telling parables to hide it. I'm telling it so that you understand it because I want to give to you what you need to understand the spiritual realm. And so it's to help us navigate kingdom life. Now, don't get nervous. We're not gonna expound completely seven parables tonight. They kind of lump together, but we are gonna go through some of them. The first one that he gives is the parable of the sower, the farmer, he's sowing seeds. He's not sowing seeds into four different fields, He's sowing seeds into one field that has four different facts about it. There's a path that goes around it. There's some soil that has not been turned over. It's rocky and unprepared. There's some soil that has other weeds and it hasn't been tilled properly but it's got good soil but there's thorns in it and then there's some some soil that's good it's one field it has four different types of soil that are in it he gives the interpretation of the parable he tells us that the seed is the truth of the message he tells us that the soil is the spirit of the human that's receiving The word or the message through their ear or through their eyes. The soil represents the heart, as Jesus said. The heart has waxed grows and can't receive. You know, the heart is the soil. The grounds, the different types of the grounds, are environmental factors that affect the potential of the message. There are factors present in every life that affect how powerfully the message impacts the life. And those are the four soils or the grounds. And then finally, the fruit represents, listen carefully, the lastingly valuable produce of an effective, fruitful life. The fruit is the the lastingly valuable product of an effective and fruitful life. Now, I'm going to tell you the main message of the parable. Here's the main point that Jesus is trying to make with this, and here's what it is. Is that a lastingly valuable, effective, and fruitful life... Now, anybody here want that? I I want that. I hope everybody here wants that. A lastingly valuable, effective, and fruitful life cannot happen without a steady stream of god's word going in if the seed that brings forth fruit which represents effectiveness purpose and god's grace in my life if that comes from the word then it can't happen unless that's happening unless the word of god is getting in Now, Jesus points out by telling us about these four different grounds that there are different things that can diminish the impact of God's word and diminish my fruitfulness. He gives us three of them. Number one is that there are hostile forces that are keeping me from receiving and hearing God's word. That's the birds, right? And I hope you all understand that there is a spirit in this world that is hostile to the things of God that doesn't want human beings hearing God's word. There are forces that are trying to keep you from hearing God. You ever heard of the squawk box? That the birds squawk, right? The squawk box. Things, a lot of times the voices that come over the airways, they, they say that it's primitive, it's unintelligent, it's stupid to listen to the things of God. That's archaic, that's religion, that's a different segment. It doesn't belong in the mainstream of what people's lives are all about. Don't listen to that. That's a hostile force. It could be the friends that you have that say, that's stupid, you're going to church, you're going to that church? You know, it's, they're trying to keep you, to sway you, to influence you away, so that when you hear God's word, you say, ah, that's marginal, don't need that. Hostile force. There's another hostile force, and that is the lifeless objects in my soil. Jesus called them rocks. Things that take up space but they hinder root depth. They hinder root growth. And so the picture is that the root of the plant is trying to get a grip in the soil and really hold on to the life, but it's hitting something that's resisting it. And essentially, the root is asking for space. The root is saying, I need depth, so that I can have strength upward. And this rock right now is impeding. It's keeping me, Jesus saying, from, from growing in your life. And this is the obstacle. Here's what it is. And those rocks can be different for all kinds of different people. For some people, it can be like a rock of just laziness. It's part of what I am. It's this useless faction of what I am in my life. And the root hits that part. And the Lord challenges it and he says, I need this rock removed or procrastination or it could be many things. It could be fear. You could be a fearful person and fear could be stopping the roots of Jesus from going deeper. I'm afraid of the things of God or afraid to progress in my life. Another rock could be a besetting sin. There's something that I am a struggle, that I'm having trouble getting past. It's a lifeless object in me that's causing the root to stop growing. There's a resistance that's there. And unless the root can get past that point, the strength and fruit-bearing potential of the plant is going to be limited. And so I need to be aware of the rocks in my life and what the root is trying to grow through And I work in tandem with his spirit and his word to remove the rocks as he gives me the grace to do it. But those rocks are in each one of our lives in a part of our field. We all have rocks in our field. Now, the third one, the third hindrance to the fruitfulness, the effectiveness of life is what Jesus calls the thorns. And the principle here is this, is that dirt doesn't discriminate. Meaning that if you sow seed on healthy soil, whatever seed you sow, that's what's going to grow. You understand that? And whether that be the good seed of the things of God, or whether it be a different kind of seed that brings up something different, thorns, as Jesus calls them, they're going to grow if they have a place to grow. Okay. Now, Jesus defines the thorns for us. He tells us that the thorns are the cares of this life, and the desire for riches now how many of you in this room right now by honest show of hands have responsibilities that you have to attend to in this life and in this world oh good okay so we all understand that we have thorns now how many in here again by honest show of hands wouldn't mind it if you had a little bit more money than you do Okay, good. We can at least be real here tonight. We don't have to pretend to be super spiritual. You know, how many of us have competing affections? We love the Lord. We want him in our life. But there's some competing affections too. Yes, that is all of us. Listen, thorns are a fact in every one of our lives. Thorns are going to be there. Now, I want you to understand this, is that thorns aren't necessarily evil, Thorns just are. God said, Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, he said, because of the curse, because we're in a fallen world, thorns are going to be. God said to Adam, because of this sin, the earth is now going to bring up to you thorns and thistles. I think the verse is somewhere in the PowerPoint system spinning around and maybe it'll just hit the screen at some point. You know, but, but you see what God said, that, that, that there are thorns that are gonna grow up in the ground. All right? And here's what you need to understand is that thorns must be managed. They can't be removed. And I want you to understand this. I was at a point in my life where I knew that I wanted to be married. And so I prayed for my wife. I asked God for a wife. I said, God, you said that a man that obtains a wife obtains a good thing and gives favor from God. And, And I really wanted a wife. I prayed for a wife. And you know what? God answered my prayer, and I gave birth to a promise. We walked down the aisle, we exchanged rings, and we were married. But do you know what came with that ring and with that vow? a set of responsibilities because now that i'm married i have a wife to take care of and it's on me to take care of her and so now i need a job now when i got married i didn't have a job (laughs) neither did she and so i prayed and i said god now i need a job and the lord gave me a job he gave me a trade and that was great But with that trade, there came responsibilities. I need to show up on time. I need to learn. I need to be on point. I need to be on time. I need to hold down this job. Well, then we began to pray and we said, Lord, maybe you want to give us kids. And we were giving birth to a new promise. Kids began to come, they were the blessing of God. In our life and in our marriage, we began to have kids. But now that I had kids, I have a whole new set of responsibilities because now I need to make enough money to provide for my kids and sustain my marriage. And now I need a house to keep all this stuff. And so do you understand how you pray for God to give you fruit and effectiveness in your life? And with that answered prayer, thorns come up too, and you cannot have one without the other. Here's what I'm trying to say is that you prayed for your problems. (laughs) You asked God for it, and he did it. He gave it to you, all right? So you can't get rid of the thorns because those things are a necessary part of life. Those things are a part of the blessing of God in your life, okay? But it is upon us that we need to manage those things and manage our priorities. And here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying that thorns have the ability to choke the word, and that's true. But it is equally true that the word has the ability to choke out thorns. Now, here's what I've learned about thorns, is that thorns are actually a blessing from God, because what thorns do is that thorns protect me from walking outside of the boundaries of the path that God has called me to walk upon. I have wild rose on my property like you wouldn't believe, And sometimes wild rose is a blessing in those things. We're walking down the path that goes along the one side of our property, and there's a hedge row of wild rose, and then a ravine, not huge, it goes up the other side, and there was a coyote walking on the other side, just strolling right down as me and my kids were walking down. We're walking right alongside, just looking over, you guys look nice, you know. And I thought, you know, if this thorn row wasn't here, we might be over there, and that coyote, you never know. See, sometimes the boundaries that thorns provide for us are actually a blessing. See, if I didn't have a house and a set of bills and a table that I had to fill, if I didn't have those things, I would have too much time and too much extra resource and I would lose sight of what God has called me to do. And so God actually uses the thorns to keep me in the place that I'm to go. Now, sometimes here's what happens is that the thorns can grow across the path. Because I'm giving too much to the cares and responsibilities of this life or the desire for things of this world. And I lose sight of where the path is supposed to be taking me. And then the word starts to get choked. So you can't get rid of the thorns. We manage the thorns. It's an important thing to understand. The point of the parable is that a fruitful life is dependent upon a steady stream of God's word getting in. Now, I used to think of this parable, the four soils. I used to think of it like that every human heart had a rating, you know, like a mortgage, like a credit rating, you know, and it was between zero and a hundred. You could have a zero heart, and, and your heart's just soiled and wicked, and nothing can happen in it. It's all just fallow ground and birds and everything. Or you could have a hundred heart. You're like the hundredfold fruit bearer. You know, like Jesus said, they bear fruit a hundred. And that everyone falls. And I used to think, Lord, am I like a 62? You know, like where am I on the, the spectrum of like heart quality, you know, and, and things like that. I don't think it works like that. It's one field. And every single one of us has all four types of ground. We all have hostile forces trying to keep us from hearing God's word. We all have areas and issues where the roots are trying to grow deeper and there's, there's resistance because of rocks. We all have thorns and things in our life that we have to manage and take care of. And we all have areas where we're fruitful and we're bearing good fruit. The object is to continue sowing the word of God into my life and allowing the fruitful portion of my field to continually grow while rocks are carefully being removed and birds are kept at the outsides because I know what they are. And that doesn't happen unless there's a steady stream of the word of God going into my life. Now, the second parable, the third parable, the fourth parable, and the seventh parable all go together All four of them have the exact same message and they pick up on the premise of the first parable concerning the seed and the good ground. Now, what are they? Again, the wheat and the tares, right? There was good seed sown, weeds sprung up. The question was asked, why these weeds? The answer was given, an enemy did this, to which the servant responds and replies and says, should we tear up the weeds? The Lord says, no, let them both grow together because you're going to ruin the wheat if you try to harvest the weeds. Leave it alone until the end. He then gives the parable of the mustard seed, and he says that the seed grows, and it becomes a shrub that is strong enough that birds can lodge in it. Birds, again, being bad. Birds are negative. But the whole idea is that the kingdom of heaven, those that are sown in the kingdom, will grow to the point where they're strong enough to handle Satan lodging in their hair from time to time. Third parable, or whatever number it would be, the leaven, there's going to be good, and there's going to be bad, they're going to mix together, get used to it. And then finally, the seventh parable, which is the dragnet, right? The fisherman throws it, he catches a few really nice tuna, he catches a few really diseased and decrepit sardines and he takes the good tunas and he set at the end you know and jesus says that this is the kingdom of heaven it's it's throwing a big net and it's going to pick up all kinds of things and it won't be until the end that you can figure out exactly what's good and what's not so what's the point what's the message of these four parables that basically all say the same thing here's what it is is that in the kingdom of god you cannot always tell what's good and what's not. You can't always draw crystal clear lines and say that 's of God, that's of the devil." Sometimes those lines aren 't as clear as we think. The also message is that what sometimes something that's good can come from something that's not good and and thirdly, how closely connected something good can be to something that 's not that 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 if the wheat And the weeds are so intertwined in their root system that you can't remove the weeds without also damaging the wheat. Okay, for instance, you say, what does all this mean? I pray a prayer and I say, God, I want to be more effective in my life. I'm sowing through prayer a promise into my heart. I'm saying, God, you said that it's your will that we bear much fruit. And so I'm asking you, Lord, make me fruitful. I want to be effective. God answers my prayer, and I become more effective. He begins to use me. A sphere of influence grows. Things are happening. Now, what happens when you begin to become more influential in the things of God or even in the realms of men? You know what happens? You start having problems. Because people are mean, okay? And people don't like it when people start having an impact, making an impact, and having problems problem and so if i become effective i'm gonna have enemies didn't i sow good seed didn't i say god do this in my life i want to be more effective it's good seed that's a good promise it's a good thing but lord it brought thorns it brought weeds into my life there's enemies i don't want these enemies in my life god take the enemies out Uh, can't see if i take the enemies out you're going to lose your effectiveness too i uh, the two go together the roots are intertwined Lord, I want to grow. When you grow, you begin to have issues. Lord, I want to know you more. I want more revelation. God, I want more truth. God says, I can give you more truth. That's a good thing to sow. But with truth comes responsibility. If you have revelation, to whom much is given, much is required. Do we not remember the Apostle Paul? What did he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? He said that because of the abundance abundance of the revelations that god gave to me there was also given to me a thorn in my flesh lest i should be lifted up in pride above measure and to think of myself more highly than i ought and he said three times i said god get the weed out lord the weeds (laughs) well some of some of you maybe you need to pray get the weed out you know just because it's legal doesn't mean it's beneficial right (laughs) you know Listen, get the weed out. And what did God say to Paul? God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. If I take out the thorn, I also have to stop the revelation. The two grow together. They grow together. And so what Paul then goes on to say is he says that the things that I thought were bad in my life actually turned into my best friend. Because, and Paul said, I will therefore glory in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. You can't get rid of the weeds without also killing the wheat. You don't know if something in your life is good or bad or what it might become or how the roots of it are intertwined with other things. I want you to think about King David. Right? King David's biggest mistake of his life was the affair that he had with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. That was horrible. You think that was bad. But you know what came out of that? Solomon. After the first baby died that was a part of that relationship, the second baby that was conceived in that relationship was Solomon, who brought the world its greatest wisdom. Think about it. David's biggest mistake brought the world its greatest wisdom. Sometimes you don't know how something good could come out of something bad. It's not in us to know how everything works. I think of Jacob. You know, this man, Jacob, he was... He was heel catcher. He was deceiver, right? But he was also Israel, which was governed by God. He was both of those things and they were both growing together. But the roots of both of them were intertwined. Jacob's need to always manipulate was rooted in the feeling of his insufficiency. But being unable to work his own path, he needed to depend on God, which made him governed by God. You can't get rid of one without the other. The two things are intertwined. They're together. See, sometimes we complain about the OCD of someone in our life. But if you take out the OCD, then you also take out what makes them an effective leader or an effective provider or an effective housekeeper or an effective parent. Sometimes the two things go together. You can't uproot one without ruining the other. And I wonder how many of us in here can think of a crippling problem that we have in our life that in some ways is our greatest blessing. I think it happens all the time. Sometimes the roots of becoming a man are intertwined with the threat of becoming materialistic. Sometimes the roots of a bad childhood are intertwined with the roots of becoming a great dad. Sometimes the roots of being a lover of truth might be intertwined with the potential to be spiritually off sometimes for a season. Sometimes the roots of a pure musician, a pure-hearted worship leader, can be intertwined with a church or a pastor that maybe is a little off in this season or in some of the things that they believe And what Jesus is saying is that you don't kill one because there's a flaw with the other because you can ruin good fruit in the process of not understanding how God does things. And God doesn't always do things the way that we do things. I think of Samson. And Samson had parents who wanted him to marry a nice Jewish woman. They had great hopes for their son. Samson had a thing for Philistine ladies, and he went to his dad and he said, "Dad, her." And dad said, "No, no, 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 no. No, let's go, let's go, let's go to the shiva. Let's go. <laughs> let's get, a, let's get a nice Hebrew. No, no, dad, that's the one. That's the one that I want. And, and what is that? We don't do that. We don't do. We don't marry Philistines. And you know what it says? It says, he didn't know. The dad didn't know that it was of the Lord." for him to marry this woman. See, sometimes God does things that we don't understand. Jacob brought his, I'm sorry, Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Jacob. And he, and he wanted them to be blessed by Jacob, his father. And, and, and when he came, Jacob couldn't see anymore because he was old. And so Joseph put Ephraim at the right hand and Manasseh at the left hand, which would have been the proper thing in their custom, in their tradition, because the one was older. But Jacob crossed his hands And he put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the... And Joseph said, no, 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 we don't do it this way. This isn't how we do it. And Jacob said, I know it, my son, but it's of the Lord. And he's going to bless him too, but the right hand belongs on his head. God doesn't always do things as clean and neat and crisp as we would like in the way that he builds and governs and rules his kingdom." Think of Paul again, a constant thing. You don't know what God is using. And he doesn't always allow us to understand his ways. You say, that's good, but that's not really how Jesus interpreted the parable. Because he interpreted it and he said that there's children of the just and there's children of the wicked. That it isn't really problems in our life in this whole thing. If we don't address the errors in the church, what will become of the church? if we don't crusade against those that are maybe wrong in their doctrine or off in their theology, if we don't don't hit that head on, what will become of the future of the church? I want you to hear four parables that Jesus gave. Four parables here. He says, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Let it grow together. Don't feel like you have to understand every little part of it. It will sort out in the end. You can do damage if you try to fix it in the meantime. I want you to understand what we have. Do you know what we have? The the people of God, the church of God. We have the word of God, which is unfailing and unchanging. And we have the Holy Ghost, the spirit of God living inside of us, whom Jesus said will lead us into all truth. Do you know if that's an ace in the hole? That means that even if I go off a little bit. If I really am a child of God, then the spirit of God is in me, the word of God is before me, and he's going to correct course. And he's going to use those things along the way to help me to understand what's right and wrong. And if we as the kingdom truly have the word of God and the spirit of God, then that gives us permission to not have to fight against everything that we don't agree with on every little level. Sometimes I think that we as the church, we get hung up on the enemy's pawn when we have the enemy's king in check. He gets us distracted in things that don't really matter. Jesus says, let both grow together and it will be worked out in the end. Here's the point of these four parables. Jesus is saying, stop sorting and keep sowing. Stop sorting. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this true? Is this? Stop. You sow the word of God. You seek the spirit of God and he's going to take care of the issues. It all comes out in the end. The fifth and the sixth treasure, I mean, parables have to do with this hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. These two things that Jesus gave, these illustrations. He said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in a field. It wasn't his field, but he found the treasure in the field. And so he hid the treasure. He put it behind a tree or dug a hole in the ground. And then he quickly went to his house, sold everything he had, cashed in. And then he went and he bought that field because it was of greater value than everything that he had. Or there was something in the field that was of great enough value that it was worth it to him to sell everything in order to have it. The other parable, the pearl of great price, same principle, the same idea. Now, early in my Christian life, I really believed that we were the one who sold everything of our old life in order to obtain Jesus, who was the treasure and the pearl. And that, that's actually, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is a treasure. Jesus is a pearl, you know? And we do forsake all to come and follow him. And I thought, wow, that's great. It was a great picture of, of what it's like. But you know that's not the interpretation at all? Because Jesus already said that the field is the world, okay? So the man who found the treasure in the field, is not us finding Jesus. It's Jesus finding us. And what that means is that Jesus sees such value in those whom he would buy that he would be willing to sell all in order to obtain the treasure and the pearl that's in the field. And that's remarkable. What is the value of something? Somebody tell me. Whatever someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is whatever someone is willing to pay for it. And if God was willing to spill his blood in order to buy you, then that means he sees value in you that is equal to or greater than his own life. That's amazing. That's the value he places in you. The Bible says that you are made in the image of God. That God made you in his own image. And, And that's part of your value is just that right there that you're made in his image. Another part of your value is your unique individuality. That you have a personality and something that you express of his image that no one else can. And you can uniquely glorify God in your life just by being who you are. That's value that's important and precious to Jesus. Where you've been, where you are, and where you're going, your story, and what happens along the way, that's part of you, and it's valuable to Jesus. And he desires not to take that from you, but to complete that in you and for you. He sees value in your life, and he paid the highest price that anyone could pay in order to have you. Three times in the New Testament, it says that he bought you with his blood. Acts 20, 28, he did it with his own blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, not with gold and silver, but with the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 1, 5 and 6, it says that he washed us from our sins in his own blood, blood blood-bought. And here's what that means. It means that Jesus valued you so much that he paid the price in full for you to belong to him and to be a citizen in his kingdom. And that's the invitation that he gives to every one of us. He did everything that was necessary to remove the obstacles keeping us from him when he died on the cross. And now he says, whosoever will, let them come. I've paid it all. And so the invitation that Jesus gives to us is to be a legal, blood-born citizen in his kingdom. And by doing such that he will move into your heart by the presence of his Holy Spirit, not externally walking with you, but internally moving in you, completing you and leading your life. With the promise that he will teach, that he will lead, that he will build your life and beautify it and make it fruitful for his purpose. And he did that through his blood. And the burden of the blood was upon him, but the burden of response is with us. He's a gentleman and he knocks. And he whispers gently to each heart. And he says, get in the current. Get in the current. Don't fight against it. Don't try to control it. Just get in it. Father, we thank you tonight for the, the, the way that you speak so amazingly. And the way that you help us to understand, God, what you've done. What you do. Who you are. And what you want to do in each of our lives. And so we pray tonight, Father, that you would take the things that we've heard, the things that you've said, that you would make further sense of them. Lord, we choose to open our hearts right now, and if there be any bird that would seek to keep from hearing, we pray, Lord, that you would just rebuke it even now, that the seed of these things would be sown in the good ground of our hearts. And I pray tonight, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally as of yet, that they would receive this invitation That they would open their heart to you. That they would say, I receive you. Thank you. You saw value in me enough that you would die for me. Shed your blood. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to know you. And I pray for those of us here that tonight are struggling with the thorns. Struggling with the weeds. Struggling with the responsibilities that come with blessings you'd help us to see them in their proper context. And like the mustard tree that grew strong enough to be able to handle tough things lodged in the branches, Lord, give us that kind of strength and endurance. And give us the ability, Father, to not feel like we have to sort it all out and understand it, but to move forward, to keep going. So by your grace, Lord, make these things true in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.